1: whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line, whatever the sport, whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet three, six, five 21 plus only must be president of Virginia. If you or someone, you know, has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800 gambler terms and conditions apply.
0: All right, we are going to finish up the decade tournament. This has been really fun with Ben Taylor. We did part one about 10 days ago. So make sure you go back and listen to that. But, for those who, it's been a while since they listened to it, we can kind of catch people up a little bit. The format was Ben and I alternated teams until we got 16 of the best teams of the decade from the 09-10 season to the 18-19 season. And to go through those, Ben's had first pick, he picked the 2017 Warriors as the number one seed. They defeated the number 16 seed, the 2010 Lakers, 4-1 in the first round also in the first round we relitigated somewhat unintentionally but it just turned out this way i had picked as the eighth seed the 2019 raptors ben picked as the ninth seed the 2019 bucks raptors had home court advantage they took it four to three we really struggled uh, on who should win that series then the number five seed 2016 Cavs defeated the number 12 seed that was ben's pick versus my pick his pick the 2016 Cavs went on to win that 4-1 we felt like just the modern spacing of that Cavs team lebron playing at maybe as high as ever level would be too difficult to deal with there and then in another somewhat sentimental matchup the 2013 heat defeating the 2012 bulls important to remember here our caveat that at least going into this tournament these teams are healthy and as long as you had a guy who played either the entire playoffs or at least half the regular season enough to get a sample size of what they looked like with that player so Derek Rose was healthy on those 2012 Bulls but we felt they couldn't match up with that great spacing that that team had uh with Bosch at center. so that's where we are now uh, Ben, any reactions for you uh as going through the first part of this uh, as you think back on it uh, before we finish up with the second half of the first round
2: you mean other than some some dicey picking on my part at the end Uh, of the draft. What do
0: you, uh, you got regrets?
2: (sighs) Maybe, you know, pausing for 10 days and letting, I'm not going to say I've ruminated on on it for all 10 days, but maybe nine of the 10 days I've thought, how could I have better challenged the 2018 Rockets that you pick sixth? I still, you know, the team that actually came to mind after long, long walks on the beach thinking about this, the 2018 Celtics with Kyrie Irving, would that have been permitted? Oof.
0: Yeah, that's like right on the borderline. Yeah. Well, but you wouldn't have had Hayward because Hayward went down the first game of the season. So yeah, he no. would have still been don't, out. Don't need Hayward.
2: I liked yeah. I liked the way that team matched up with Houston defensively. That that was my challenge, just like trying to find a team that matched up with Houston defensively. I also think, um, unless you have more to say there, the other one was that, that eight nine series with the Raptors and the Bucks that we set up, I think I would have gone Bucks if they had home court.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I would have thought about it very closely as well. I mean, they definitely had the worst of the shooting luck, and I mean, they had a 15-point lead in Game 6. They almost won in double overtime in Game 3. Uh, and Did the Raps—I don't think the Raps had any blowout wins in the series, did they?
2: Um, Not that I could—I think they won one Game
0: Game Game
2: 4, four is the only one I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that was like a convincing win. But I don't know if I would call it a blowout win. It was, yeah. it's still a series that I mean, what is it? Uh, seven months later, six months later, still feels like the Bucks were probably a slightly better team, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that was that was the other tough one. I think everything else is
0: forward thinking for me. I'm excited to see how the rest of these teams stack up. Yeah, I mean the malleability of that Bucks team, or I'm sorry, of that Raptors team, to me was something that I thought the Bucks. Uh, kind of struggled with it a little bit but yeah so we also have ben dull here our director of basketball research if ben taylor and i are at all opposed in terms of who we think should win a series uh ben dull will be the tiebreaker based on the arguments that we have presented so we will now bring you back to our bracket here and let's get into the 215 matchup I had the number two overall pick. I picked the 2016 Warriors. Again, remembering that everyone is healthy here. And they are going up against... What a homer pick. (laughs) Yes, the 73-win team. Uh, They are going up against the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, uh, which Ben picked. We had a trade late. So Ben actually had 14 and 15 in a row. Um, We'll see his 14 seed in a second here. Uh, But the other rule that we had, recall, was that Every champion had to be picked outside of the ones that were very similar to other champions, uh, which were not allowed to be picked. So 2015, 2016 Warriors were similar enough. It really wouldn't have been fun to have both those teams in there when they're so similar. So, but every champion that I guess we would look at as a unique champion and, you know, 16, 17 Warriors, those are unique because one had Kevin Durant, one didn't, uh, had to be in there. So the last two picks essentially that we were trying to get around were the 2011 Mavericks and the 2010 lakers let's talk about who's on this mavericks team first i think that's uh important to note
2: yeah so this is this is the 2011 title team with dirk surrounded by tyson chandler at center they started sean marion next to him a 30 what is about 37 year old jason Kidd, right in that range it was i think
0: it was yeah go ahead still a stout defender three and d guy right uh at the point guard position
2: and then they used, a, they would bring Jason Terry in, who is essentially uh, a closing scorer, um, kind of a secondary scorer, but they would often go with like Pages Stoyakovich in one series or Deshaun Stevenson. They kind of had a rotating cast of characters. And then JJ Berea also came off the bench for them.
0: Yeah. Brendan Haywood uh, as a backup center uh, as well. Yeah. So their closing lineup most of the time is Terry Kidd, Marion, Dirk, Tyson Chandler. They famously even moved Berea into the starting lineup in the 2011 finals. So number one concern, obviously, with this matchup against the Warriors is how are these guys going to guard Steph Curry?
2: Yeah, I so I've prepared a 500-word dissertation on <laughs> um, how that's going to happen, and now I'm going to light it on fire. Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I racked my brain all week trying to figure out how this would happen, and I really... Here, here's the thing. They didn't even, like play not that they would have to per se but I if you look at Chandler and you look at Dirk as sort of two bigs that are going to be overextended more than they ever were in the 2011 season and then you say well what happens when one of them's off the floor they didn't really play small ball lineups all year they had like 27 minutes all year with Dirk at five and Marion at four so I, I just don't know
0: yeah and I don't think Dirk at five and Marion at at four would have helped much either uh i think that i would have loved to have seen dirk trying to score in isolation against draymond green um i do think that that Warriors switching would have been very interesting uh, against dirk i think the 2011 mavericks could have scored to some degree with dirk i think dirk is a pretty good antidote about as good as you're gonna find to that Warriors switching defense i think he's a little bit too big for guys like iguodala even perhaps i mean i think draymond if they go to that death lineup is probably the only guy who's gonna be able to guard him even harrison barnes i don't know that those guys could necessarily stop dirk even in his later years the warriors when they weren't switching had a lot of trouble dealing with him in a conventional pick and roll defense as well but i think the warriors just outscore them because basically that version of steph curry the only way to stop him was by switching and switching seamlessly and they just don't have the personnel to do that any kind of a pick and roll involving jerk i mean to not even be able to switch with your four not to mention your five you just cannot stop this golden state offense i mean people still i think forget how ridiculous steph curry was that year is really maybe the greatest offensive season of all time and we saw him struggle a little bit more against the athleticism of lebron and and the athleticism of the thunder in the playoffs again because it in part, he was limited, uh, but with him healthy, at least at the start of these playoffs, I just don't see how Dallas uh, can stop them. The junk Rick Carlisle junk defenses that worked against LeBron when they're playing a, a pure center not going to cut it,
2: right? And when you say limited, you're referring to that coming off that knee injury, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the grade one MCL sprain that he suffered in uh, in the opening round of the playoffs against Houston.
2: Yeah, and that has a the, the typical recovery time. On that injury, if I remember correctly, is much longer. He came back like, what, like a good two weeks earlier than the average or something? Two to three weeks earlier? Well,
0: a grade one MCL, it was about the normal amount of time to come back from it. But you also don't get just thrown into the playoffs playing 40 minutes a game when you come back from that either. Yeah. Um, okay. And so I think it was really, he wore down. He just wasn't the same in terms of his level of explosiveness, his endurance. I mean, he's still, I mean, you could see the knee was all bruised up. He had this brace on it. He had, like, some tape on it in the locker room after games. He definitely, I mean, he had moments in those playoffs. I mean, I think it more became a thing where he could be feeling really good some games and just not other games. You know, like Game 7 against the Thunder, he was unbelievable. Game 4 against the Cavs, he was unbelievable, but just wasn't able to bring it quite at that level every game.
2: Okay, yeah, I had the same impression. I just want to... Make but, sure we're on anyway, the same page. That'll that'll come yeah. back up uh, right. in later rounds. But for now, I think I, I'm I'm in agreement with you on the sort of shorthand takeaway of this series. Dallas will probably be able to score just about the same way they did against a typical opponent in 2011. So they'll do well. But uh, I see them struggling. You know, they had a defensive component that gave them success back then, and I see that being largely nullified and then even more so because it's the golden state offensive machine so yeah
0: Yeah. and your other thing too is that you know we saw the Warriors kind of run out of bodies by the end if Bogut was hurt you know that was another potential that that he could get injured very easily but he actually is going to fit pretty well because he can always just guard Chandler and worth noting too that that Warriors defense with Bogut and Green together was really really difficult to score against for more conventional teams as well so um people forget that Bogut missed those last two games against Cleveland and I, I just I think it's really important to remember just how unbelievable Steph Curry was I mean unanimous MVP uh, and he had these road trips with, like in late February where he's just averaging 40 a game willing them to victories they're just There's never been a player who has warped defenses like that. Maybe we're starting to see that a little bit with James Harden, uh, now where, but the sheer panic that he could induce, uh, and there's just no way that Dallas could play, uh, the way that they would need to switching. But so uh, people who remember Curry, by the end of that 2016 playoff run, forget how incredible he was. And also he was really incredible for most of the 2015 playoffs uh, as well. Um, so I mean to me the only question here is four one or four oh. I think it's gotta be four one, right?
2: Yeah, I'm good with either. Um I had the same question. We can call it four one and I think move yeah. on
0: maybe. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix sleep since here in the program, that's 20% off your first order at american-giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. Oh, yes, this one. I'm so glad that we're here again. Another, again, it just worked out this way. Ben selected the 2016 Spurs, a 67-win outfit. We're playing at basically the same level in terms of point differential as that Warriors team throughout much of the year. Uh, And they still finished six games behind them, ultimately. But if they had tried down the end, they might have even approached 70 wins. So that Spurs team is the number seven seed. And their foils from the 2016 playoffs. The fourth team from 2016 that is in here, the 2016 Thunder, is the 10 seed. Spurs have home court advantage in this. They also had home court advantage in that previous series. And they ended up losing 4-2. My question to you, Ben, is... What is the reason why it's going to be any different this summer?
2: Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. So let's go back to that series. We last in the in part 1, we talked about the idea that the best team doesn't always win the series. This was a very close series. I've revisited this series recently. Game 1 of the series, Spurs win by 32. Blow them out of the building.
0: Yeah. Aldridge had f- like 41 in that game, 43. Yeah. And and just Ald- hitting every pick and pop jumper known to man.
2: Well, the, you know, if you're thinking of LaMarcus Aldridge now in 2020, he was a significantly better player four years ago at this time, and he had a number of games in that series where he just tortured them with that mid-range game over and over and over again. I mean, they, they yeah, won he, 67 he really, for a reason.
0: Uh, my recollection, and, and you've watched it more recently than I have, is that it, it was the pick-and-pop game with him and Parker in game one, but also that Aldridge did pretty well against Serge Ibaka. But when it was Steven Adams, Adams did a pretty good job on him. That's my recollection.
2: I think Adams, uh, the way I would summarize it, and of course I didn't watch all six games in their entirety recently, but what I saw was Adams doing better in man, but he's still on the court and they're still getting some of those mid rangers from the pick and pop. And that shows up on the tape in like, you know, game three and game four and game five. So it was something that, you know, when Aldridge's shot was on, that was still a weapon. Let me me keep going because game two, we get to this crazy Dion Waiters game. That is a that is a very close game that could, from my perspective, go either way down the stretch. Spurs shoot, I think, six of twenty-three from downtown in that game. Um, game Game three, the next game, they come back and win in Oklahoma City. This is a game they were up the whole game. They had a fifteen-point lead in the first half, and it ended up being a four-point game at the end because the Thunder made some plays to kind of bring it to the brink down the stretch, but. Very much one of those games that felt a little bit, you know, a little bit more in control than a two, three, four-point game going down the stretch. They lose game four by fourteen. Game five is another close game in the series that they lose. Um, this was a wild game. Do you remember this one? Like the Thunder had a comeback in it. Uh, rewatching some of the fourth yeah. quarter, Westbrook hit a 32-footer at the buzzer of a shot clock. A minute or two later hit another three as the shot clock was winding down Um, and then that was in the final minute like Tony Parker missed a free throw he missed an open jumper and then the Spurs tried to foul with about 10-12 seconds left Leonard wraps up Westbrook they don't call the foul Westbrook gets away and gets an and one at the rim making it 95-91 ball
0: game yeah this is the game where Oklahoma City was playing a lot of canter and Steven Adams together. Yep, yep. And David West and Boris Diaw was the second unit for the Spurs. And those guys were just getting overwhelmed physically. I remember that being a big part of the series. The other thing that I remember as then in game six, of course, OKC leads by thirty at halftime and Spurs get back within ten at one point. Tim Duncan has his last hurrah. Uh, but you know, it never really got to the point. I mean, maybe some sphincters were tightening in OKC, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like just totally uh, it, you always felt like the Thunder were going to win it still. It, it would have had taken an unbelievable comeback. And the other thing that you'll recall is Greg Popovich, as they're getting physically overwhelmed by the combination of Stephen Adams and Ennis Cantor. this is not a team that played with enough spacing, didn't play Kawhi at the four, probably his, uh, maybe he felt like he needed to play Aldridge and Duncan together. But even on the second unit, you, they just didn't do that until he comes out with that group. Start of the second half, and they actually get back into it and look really good. Now, I mean, the, we we know that there is the uh, the rubber band effect when teams that are down are more likely to come back. So, you know, to say that oh, they should have been doing that more, it would have worked for sure. I don't know that, but I was saying throughout the series, he's got to go with Leonard at the four. That's the adjustment to counter this Adams and uh, Canter together, space those guys out, and also maybe get your five best guys on the floor. Um, and
2: and so to be clear, you wanted you want Duncan as the five in that lineup or did it not matter either
0: either or okay. either Aldridge or Duncan I, I think you know maybe Duncan would have had to be out for part of the time you know he wasn't a 30 minute a game player at that point in time anyway um and and even he was struggling with some of the athleticism uh, of uh the Thunder in that series as was you know basically being 40 years old so I'm uh I mean, that's part of why POP, I'm sure, didn't do it. But at least on the bench unit when Diaw and West had been so ineffective. Um, So part of the reason I don't think things would necessarily change, I mean, both teams had one ridiculous blowout win. I certainly put more on a blowout winning game six as being indicative of the series as opposed to a game one when the teams are still trying to figure each other out a little bit. Um, But, I mean, crazy as it is to say... I remember Billy Donovan is out coaching Pop in this series for some of the reasons that I mentioned. So I think
2: the challenge there's there's a trade-off with what you're saying about the small lineup. I imagine that that was at hand, which is the thundered that Thunder team in 16 didn't have great spacing, and so you could you could kind of sink more toward the paint. And looking at the film. Duncan couldn't move, right? But he still had his size and his fundamentals and his rim protection. And so if you're Westbrook is a little more explosive, but even if you're Kevin Durant and you go to turn the corner on Kawhi Leonard, you keep seeing Tim Duncan there. And that turns into a 16 foot pull up or a kick out instead of a drive to the hoop. So I imagine there was something going on there, sort of trying to balance. I agree with you on the second unit, you know, the second unit, I think gave them um, a lot offensively over the course of that season because both Diao and West are good high post passers. Um, But yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure about having them both on the court as they were getting more overwhelmed as the series went on. By the way, just to be clear, over the course of the entire series, this baby was so close. Spurs actually outscored the, the Thunder by three points in the six games. I do think the physicality was reflected uh, in the rebounding totals. They the, Spur, the Thunder were a good rebounding team. The Spurs did not kill teams on the glass, per se. Yeah.
0: And well, well, interestingly, I mean, the Spurs, just as a great profit team, they were always unbelievable on the defensive glass, and they still got totally just overwhelmed right. yeah. physically by yeah. the Thunder.
2: They got smothered in the series. So um, here's a question. They run it back, right? San Antonio has home court here. Are there new adjustments and lineups, and uh, is, is Pop going to be able to learn from – the game six starting the second half, like how are we kind of approaching the knowledge base, assuming they're not going to have the exact same strategic play out as the series runs itself back.
0: Yeah. That's difficult to say. We ran into this with that, that bucks Raptors series as well. I mean, I think the way we treated it though is no, they don't necessarily uh, uh, know. Now. I, I mean, I guess that's, you get to, you probably get to watch film of this team. So that would include your own series against them.
2: Right. And I think here it's almost a bigger question for me than the Bucks Raptors. Um you know, I had some smaller more subtle questions, but I think it's fair to say last year the Bucks were the Bucks. It was their first year together at that level, all that stuff. This feels slightly different to me. This feels like if you can, I mean first of all, it's a super close series anyway from where I stand. Are are we in agreement on that?
0: Yeah, I think I I think we are in agreement there, although it's just it's tough for me it's always tough for me when it's a blowout win in game six for the road team that it's like, okay, hey, you lost game five at home. Now we're, and also worth noting, right? Even when the favorite loses game five at home, they're down three, two. It's usually about a toss up in the series, even at that point historically. So for the Thunder to just completely blow them out in the first half, like it wasn't even remotely close. Like that's the indelible image to me. And the other indelible image is just the Thunder being so much more athletic. Than the Spurs, and that and that ultimately they're just overwhelmed, and I'm not sure that they're if that's the way that you're losing because you're getting physically overwhelmed. I'm not sure that there are necessarily that many adjustments to that. Like if there wasn't. I mean, I think the only thing they could have done is maybe you play Kawhi at the four, and then you get Cantor off the floor, and now you're not getting killed on the offensive glass anymore, and maybe your defense actually ends up a little bit better, even with. The fact that – because the Thunder, if they went to a small lineup, they didn't really have a lineup that had more spacing because they had Robertson. So even if they had to go small uh, to keep up defensively, they don't necessarily get better offensively. They might get worse right? in some ways.
2: And that's part of my issue with this team, just to elaborate on the spacing issues, because it came up in part one. I didn't pick them – Um there's shoot, basically the shooting around Kevin Durant. You had Ibaka at 33% that year. He took about four per 100. Waiters was the best one at 36%. He took about six per 100. Robertson, is it pro- was that like Robertson's best shooting year? 31%. Well,
0: well, you'll remember actually in that game six, he went nuts from three in the first half. They were just letting him shoot it. and Tony Parker was just like... You know, if he makes it, he makes it, and I'm like, well, Tony, you were down 30, so it wasn't just that. But uh, well, yes, yeah, he did. He he probably does not repeat that performance. I would I'll say that
2: right. And so I think I really like the argument you made about Game Six holding more water than Game One in terms of a blowout or being indicative of how the teams match up because they've gotten to feel each other out a little bit. I buy that. I don't know how much I buy just the single game sample, you know. Sometimes, the, the one that came to mind was 2007 and the Suns and the Spurs. Of course, the, the Suns completely tired themselves out in Game 5. But, you know, I don't know if it's unheard of to have a Game 6 that's a closing game and have a team have a flurry, especially at home, um, and then say that's the indelible moment because there are probably a bunch of series we could find where there was a Game 6 when the team was down 3-2 and there was a blowout, and then you get to play that other game at home. The Spurs didn't get to do that because they lost the... Close, crazy games earlier in the series. That that'd be my argument for Ben Doll if we're headed that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, prime so the here's pump. the
0: other thing too, right? If you want to say that, well, the more these teams get exposed to each other, now we're going to expose them to each other again after they've already been exposed to each other. Well, the Thunder won three straight in the series, and the one game that happened where it made the first point differential respectable in the series, and frankly, if it hadn't been for the garbage time, you know, we're letting you back in the game. In Game 6, the Thunder probably win the point differential pretty handily for the series. Another argument that I would make, because uh, it does sound like we might be at loggerheads here, I am going to pick OKC. Um Another argument that I'd make is Kevin Durant just outplayed Kawhi Leonard in the series significantly.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with that. Ben, um, ben yeah. cover your ears. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to go same thing. 4-2 four, four, again, Thunder. Uh, like to me, there just there wasn't, and also like, do you have? uh, I know you did a little bit look at this. What was the? What were the Thunder when healthy? Yeah, that season. Yeah,
2: it's pretty close. So the they they were sneaky good. Um, they had a plus nine point seven adjusted healthy point differential, and the Spurs were plus eleven point seven. Um. Obviously, you can say that's a, a decent bit more, but I will say um it's not hugely a lot more. And then, of course, there's the fact that, you know, you can slightly outplay or underperform your point differential. I think the idea that Kawhi, I mean, that was like the beginning of really good Kawhi to me. And yet, that's an interesting question. If we run the series back, is there, he made a lot of tough shots, I don't know if he was getting great looks. Is there a version of that series that has him go off um, without just lucky shot making? That's an interesting question.
0: For You're me. talking about
2: Kawhi? Yeah, Kawhi specifically. Because I, I think the version we saw, those six games we saw, your point about him being outplayed to a degree or being a bit underwhelming is, is a is a valid one. But would that hold true if we ran it back?
0: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't quite as good in 2016 as he was in 2017, right? Or or offensively, but he was get, he was he, was
2: he was close. Like that was the yeah. beginning of this kind right. of incredible scorer guy, board man, <laughs> scorer guy. The t- yeah. the T shirt's coming,
0: right? And he, I mean, it was interesting. They put Kawhi on Westbrook and Danny Green on KD for a lot of the series, but in that game four, when KD really turned the series with the uh, again that I nominated for one of my best of the decade. uh KD, uh, I think he had like 19 in the fourth. They had no answers for him, even when it was Kawhi on him. And so, um yeah, I mean, I think I got it. Uh, uh, oh, here's another little aspect, too. This is going to rile up Spurs fans for sure. Not unprecedented for San Antonio to be just a worse team in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. There's a lot of the... I mean, I think Pop, his genius, works better in the regular season. He gets more out of his guys in the regular season than I think anyone. But yeah. they have a, a pretty well-known history other than 2014 and 2013 a lot of years they lost in series that they were favored and so just to go back and say well hey you know they were so much better in the regular season this is just a fluke and look at some of the series that they lost when they were favored right 2015 against the clippers uh, 2012 against these very thunder 2011 against memphis so i do think there's a little bit of an argument here and usually also the Spurs are very built on their bench dominating and their bench. I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to believe that their bench wouldn't get killed again with Dia and uh, West and their lack of athleticism if we run this series back. So that's another muted advantage, both because stars play more and just because the bench wasn't effective in this series. So I don't think I mean, your argument is kind of, hey, this is a 67 win team. This is a fluke. And then you also see how much trouble the OKC gave the Warriors in the next round. I think you just have to, and I think if you just look at the talent on the rosters, you know OKC probably a little bit better. Kevin Durant was the best player in the series. I I, I gotta go four two again. I How- know we're spending a lot of time on this one, but uh, I mean this is one of the great series of all time. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, but.
2: I th- I think you meant I think you meant twenty twelve uh, OKC. The Spurs were up two zero and then they lost. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, meant,
0: yeah. I meant that twenty eleven they lose to Memphis. Yeah, but that was uh, that had the injury yeah. at least. Associate Manu yeah, yeah with Manu. I mean you're also it's also a 1-8 matchup I mean so
2: so I'll, I'll summarize that point this way which is what I was alluding to earlier with the point differential um, a lot of those Spurs teams slightly out underperform their point differential meaning when you actually fold in the win-loss percentage it's a little lower than you would think and I feel like I see that almost with every one of these teams throughout the decade in San Antonio and yeah. I think that's that's kind of Making it's chipping away a little bit at that advantage. Um, the the last thing I'll say before I weigh in with a verdict I do wonder how much the Warriors not being the Warriors, not having Steph Curry regular season version influenced our impression of the Thunder and specifically how that long athleticism was able to bother them. You know, it's 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 a, it's a fair point to say the athleticism bothered them and they played well and they're a really, really good team. But again, it's that idea of like, what would have happened if they were just the same machine from the regular season? They beat the Thunder in Oklahoma City in that, like one of the all-time great
0: regular season games in overtime. Yeah, barely. Uh, and- I mean, but, but it's still, even that game still felt, you felt the same thing that the Warriors might be getting a little bit overwhelmed physically. And I mm. also say this too. I mean, well, you know what? Let's let's save this though. Ben, all right, all right, okay. Because uh, we may have an interesting matchup in the next okay. round. Well, they—I
2: uh, was going to say they ran them. I think they won by like twenty in the in the other game in Oakland. Um, boy, I was going to go Spurs four three. That that feels like a more responsible pick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like from, you know what I mean from like a statistical world view kind of viewpoint. Uh, you've done a fantastic job. I'm going to reward you for your argumentation. I'm going to say that the thunder take it in 6 that home game in
0: 6. Well, good. That's good to know. I'm uh I haven't been practicing law for 4 years, but uh <laughs> still got it, baby. <laughs>
2: we'll see what, we'll see what the Twitter says. They're going to give it to me on that one for for bending.
0: Well, well here, Be- Ben Dell, can can you chime in here if he would have said Spurs 4-3, uh who would you have gone with?
1: I would have gone OKC. Fuck yeah. The the, t- <laughs> the the two things Other than Ben's concession, which is kind of one of the things I would have said, is just believing that Durant was going to be the best guy if you run that back. And, you know, take it as a grain of salt, but as someone who's followed Kawhi's career extremely closely since like his first game in college, I would still admit as much. And just the, the point of OKC just being overwhelming, I think that was just kind of one of the things that I still can't. I still couldn't kind of dive into something a little deeper to just kind of look past that or not kind of take that into account enough Dill
0: referencing the
1: uh the San Diego roots there that okay, was awesome. well well this sets
0: up Warriors Thunder in uh in the second round 2016 Warriors 2016. Well, Thunder. we'll
2: come back to that later oh we will
0: <laughs> okay the 611 matchup the 2018 Rockets second best record of any team not to win a championship this decade at 65 and 17. Going against the twenty twelve Thunder. Harden versus Harden.
2: Harden is gonna guard Harden. That's gonna be our strategy here. It doesn't matter that the Rockets were forty and two in the regular season when they were healthy. We're gonna put Harden out there on Harden and he's gonna slow he's gonna slow down that machine. No, I, I ah, this is just this is all Houston to me. I feel like I feel like getting into the weeds with the strengths and weaknesses of the eighteen Rockets is something that we should reserve for the next
0: round. Well, let's just talk about who's uh, on these teams here uh, real quick. First of all, 2012 Houston I think, or 2018 Houston. I think everyone knows uh, who's on that team. 2012 OKC, you still have Harden. They actually are starting, though, Tavo Cephalosha. Yep. Russ and KD, obviously. This this team, though, really more of an offensive team. Second in offense during the regular season. 11th in defense. So, so Nate, this is what I was
2: yeah. alluding to at the top about wanting to find a better team to match up defensively with Houston and not feeling very satisfied that I could uh, land K- anyone. Kendrick
0: Perkins, Kendrick Perkins could <laughs> handle Harden in the pick and roll, just switch yeah. onto him.
2: Yeah. I mean, why not just start with Perk on Harden? He will shut him down the entire matchup. Um, no,
0: it's, well, yeah. <laughs> it's- well and, and here's the other thing too. You remember in the finals, they're playing Bosch at center perkins is getting completely destroyed yeah and good old scott brooks never goes away yep.
2: so i don't know if you ever went back and listened to it but this was the perseveration that i had um when we earmuffed you in part one just i did listen to oh it, yeah. man yeah so i don't know they they at least here is my thinking for landing on them they at least have some precedent in history of being able to go small bowl and so you know that gets us back uh, into the kind of rules coaching knowledge question.
0: Well, well. So what? Hold on. What's that small ball lineup? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Good for OKC.
2: Good question. So in 2012, um, they played about 365 minutes. They did very well. They outscored opponents by 11 and a half points per 100. The net rating, and it was some variation of Kevin Durant, Westbrook, Harden ibaka and then they would put a shooter out there usually so it was derek fisher for like a third of them daquan cook sometimes cephalosha um,
0: shooter in quotation marks yes in i mean well yes. they would i mean the thing is they'd have to play cephalosha just for the defense i think uh nick collison is their backup big he would have been completely destroyed by uh, this houston team as well in iso or pick and roll
2: you think it, you know i actually was wondering if older older younger nick collison way back in the day. Um, wouldn't be run off the court by some of those switches you think he would just you think he just didn't have the lateral movement i feel like for a big that would be something that he could handle those responsibilities probably better than most of the other guys on their roster at the time
0: that's damning with pain praise i think i I mean he's he's a under athletic big age 31 playing 20 minutes a game like i don't think he was the panacea here he also isn't going to space out to three. So he's not going to get guarded. on I mean, that's your sure. other problem too, is Perkins and Collison aren't going to get guarded on the other. And this Houston team is one of the best in NBA history at not guarding the guys who don't need to be guarded.
2: And Ibaka didn't shoot threes yet, which is the other nope. sort of challenge. No, so. I mean,
0: and, and Ibaka defensively, this is age 22 season. If you're going to play conventional pick and roll defense, he really wasn't up to snuff there. Uh, we did see him switch later in his career, in that 2016 series against the Warriors. Uh, But I just, I, I mean, this is the number 11 defense against 2012 offenses. Like, what is Houston going to do to these guys? Also, like, you know, KD, we think of him as being like a pretty good defensive player. That's not the case for him in 2012. He's still too skinny. Uh When he had to guard LeBron in the finals, he just got totally destroyed. I mean, you look at what LeBron did to them in the finals, and I think you're going to see a pretty similar result here.
2: Let's, uh, man, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call
0: it a sweep oof you're going the nate duncan style i'm <laughs> a i am I do think uh okc gets them in transition maybe one game okay i mean westbrook was uh, KD or pretty unbelievable athletic forces as of that time but also i mean your other problem is this team just isn't shooting enough threes like the math's not going to work out for them. houston could have uh i mean they did have a game where they missed 27 straight three-pointers like they could just they, have they one did. of these games and it generally seems like it, in this maury era they've just had a lot of games where they just haven't shot it quite as well from three as in the regular season the playoffs for whatever reason i mean even in the 2017 series in the first round uh they really struggled to shoot against OKC. Okay, it didn't matter because that team wasn't good enough uh on offense but they've had a lot of series where they get up a lot of threes and just don't make them um but you can also play ryan anderson just fine if you want to really juice the offense he can hold up defensively against them um
2: I don't remember the Rockets missing 27 threes in a row. Was that an important game?
0: Um yeah, they ended up winning though actually. It was, it was, uh, the league adjusted it later on actually. It, so I, I forget what the oh, original score oh no. was, but the, oh, they ended no. up winning by like 8. Oh um, no. The, oh. And then uh then went on to take care of LeBron and the Cavs in the Finals 4-0 oh, 2018.
2: You're getting NBA me in Houston you're getting Rockets. me in hotter water with the City of Houston.
0: Um okay. Uh, I think I think it's 4-1. Um you're a big believer in this 2018 Rockies. I mean, I I do think people forget even just how unbelievable that team was. I mean, Chris Paul. We haven't even mentioned his name. He was one of the best ISO players in the league that year too. And I mean, like, but Scott Brooks isn't even going to go to switching. Like, they're going to play conventional pick and roll defense, and they're just going to get totally carved up. Let's move along. What's next? All right. So, so what do we have? We have sweep. I, either I'll, I'll one. Give you the, I'll e- give you the sweep. Yeah,
2: either one or a game. It, it, yeah. It's all the same.
0: Okay. Uh, this one also another slight relitigation, although because uh, these teams matched up in the playoffs the following year with pretty much identical personnel on both teams. 2014 Spurs, number three overall seat. Yes. Controversially high pick if I were picking things for Ben Taylor. But yes. Big fan of 2014 Spurs versus another controversial pick that would not have been in there for me, uh, 2015 Clippers. Um, these are both Ben's uh, picks here, but uh, how do you see this one playing out?
2: So here's my question, and it's come up already, but I think this is the team that makes me really think of it. Do the teams later on have some kind of information gain where they are more privy to what the Spurs were doing in 2014? What the Spurs were doing in 2014, in terms of ball movement, screener activity, sort of the quote unquote Euro style at that point, it hadn't, the whole style, all the all the motion stuff, it hadn't come in to the league the way it's just saturated today. So my question is, If we give these later teams all of that information, I think it makes sense to adjust down, like curve down on this team. If they don't necessarily have all that information, um, then I'm going to like this team a lot in a lot of matchups.
0: Well, I think the way I see this is these teams have played their own entire regular season. And then you're able to see every game that the other team played that season on film. Everyone magically gets healthy, and you have a week to prepare for the series. So does that answer your question at all? It does. So how does that affect things for you?
2: Well, I still think I, – I think you do an injustice to say the 15 Spurs are essentially the same as the 14 Spurs. The the 14 Spurs hit another level. Um, I feel like the – Yeah. The big, no, I, I
0: would never say that, by the okay. way. I, okay. I mean, it's just – it's kind of the same personnel. But no, I mean, Parker – uh duncan although duncan did have a a really good series especially a game seven in 2015 but parker yep, and manu yep. in particular exactly i felt were it took a major step back in 2015 Kawhi took a big step forward but he didn't do that much in that 2015 series um and just everyone was kind of uh, seemed healthy i think parker was struggling with injury in 2015 as well um well, so you sort of, you, to me, looking at the Spurs over those three years illuminates
2: how the 14 team stands out, even though they all look very similar. So the healthy, the healthy point differentials in 2013 plus 8.7 in 2015 plus 8.8. In 2014, it was plus 11.8. It's one of the highest healthy point differentials of all time. It's roughly equating to like a 69 or 70 win. Team over the course of a year. All these teams, and one of the reasons why I really like them in this tournament for multiple matchups, all these teams were very good defensively. So it wasn't like, you know, offensive dominance and then passable defense, which a lot of the other teams sort of have that profile. These Spurs teams were really good on offense and also really good on defense. But 2014, I think you had the continuity of the last few years. I think you had the experience. You had Parker, as you said, Parker. Ginobili, Duncan, they were younger. Kawhi, kind of materially better in 14 versus 13 is your that that early steep part of the growth curve. Danny Green also better. Um, Boris Diaw played a bigger role and they brought in, you know, Patty Mills and Marco Bellinelli. So you just the shooting and the passing were off the charts. They shot like over forty percent from three, right around forty percent, I think, during the regular season, and then over forty percent. In the playoffs and their playoff performance was crazy. And I don't want to put too much stock into the small sample, but in the playoffs, even people think like, oh, they lost a bunch of games, you know, they went to seven against Dallas, but the totality of their playoff performance, especially as the playoffs ran on, um, was overwhelming. They had one of the best point differentials or or net ratings when adjusting for opponents. Their offense was like off the charts, 116 offensive rating against really good teams. So to me, they are a better team than 15. And 15 almost beat that Clippers team anyway.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you there. You know, I think the way I see this series playing out is starters versus starters. I think the Clippers can really hang with them. Uh, But then when you get into the benches, I mean, that Clippers team was very, very thin. I mean, you want to just tell us some of the names that they've got. But I mean, first of all, they've got, you know, they're starting Matt Barnes. Jamal Crawford comes in. You can't defend anyone. Yep. with Glenn, him out there, Glenn
2: Davis was another guy who came off that bench.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, well, uh, 2015 is that Spencer yep. Hawes.
2: They had Spencer Hawes. He he was the ninth guy. So in the playoffs, it was yeah, it was uh, Paul Reddick, Matt Barnes, Blake, and DeAndre Jordan, and the starters, and then Crawford, Davis, and then Austin Rivers. Um, not that nepotism was involved at all in that decision, but he sort of joined the the bench mob uh, yeah. in the postseason.
0: Yeah, I mean you. Long-time listeners will remember that in the season after that, the 45 pick-and-roll with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan absolutely killed the Spurs. They had no answers for that. Again, I thought Doc Rivers actually might have outcoached Pop to some degree in that series. Pop also had a weird game that they ended up losing where they're ahead, and then he starts going to uh, hack Jordan and totally killed their momentum, and, and I think that was game one. But, and the Clippers get right back into it. But you know what's um, funny?
2: On that on that point, we talked a little bit about the difference between 14 and 15 Clippers last time because I was looking at one of those Clippers teams and ended up kind of preferring 15. That, that high post passing of Blake Griffin was way better in 15 to me, and even though there was a little athleticism yeah. loss, I liked that package a little bit more. You're just speaking to how it played out in 15. Anyway, keep going.
0: Um, the other thing, though, is I think that Spurs team – The biggest difference between 14 and 15 is offensively. And I see no way that this Clippers team is going to be able to guard them because that team does not have the personnel to switch. I think that's really the only way that you could guard that Spurs team. They're going to, Tony Parker is going to get penetration. Manu is going to get penetration. And then they're one of the best passing teams of all time. Uh, And you just have to go back and look at uh, the montage uh, of the Spurs beautiful basketball Once they're get, they able to get that penetration and get the ball swinging around and they have the shooters to finish those plays uh, on this group, I just think that they have a little higher offensive ceiling and they definitely have way better defensive personnel than this Clippers group. I do think that the, again, the athleticism of Griffin and Jordan can give them problems just as it did in 2015. Also worth noting, by the way, in 2015, Tiago Splitter, who was a big part of their team in fourteen, was not really healthy in that series. He didn't even play in game one. Aaron Baines did and he got utterly destroyed i was reminded of that as i was doing research for the best dunks of the decade that blake griffin uh dunked on him a number of times in game one of that series (laughs) in 2015 um another way to look at this too is 2014 clippers a team that i thought actually was better than 2015 you disagreed with me loses in six to okc and then okc loses in six to the spurs so that's another way of looking at that uh, that and i thought that 14 clippers team might have been better and they still you know, you've they're got, pretty close. Yeah,
2: they're extremely close. I mean, I'm splitting yeah. hairs. I'm I'm probably taking experience and. Skill based things like one of the things we talked about in part one was Chris Paul being a little bit more athletic in 14. He was, he was, he got to the rim more, but that was also to me sort of the beginning of an upward crest of insane skill development. His best mid range and long range. He was like over 40% from above the big break three that year. Um, it was his best kind of shooting year. I think in his career outside of 17. I think so that that three year stretch, the three to four years culminating in. 2018 in houston so anyway that's that's neither here nor there i i think um i would go spurs here in five or six either way uh, i'm fine yeah. with
0: i mean the, the 2014 spurs was also. i mean let's not forget they went seven games against the mavericks in the first round that year too
2: yeah yeah that happens to the best of them the, yeah they, <laughs> the, you know the 2008 well, celtics and the hawks also technically played a seven game series
0: yeah Yeah. So, but I mean, but the, and the Mavs, I think could Vince Carter had a shot to put them up three, one in game four of that series. Um, That's the, this is
2: the challenge with, with a lot of these Spurs teams, I think is, is the, the point differential is going to sort of slightly outperform what you think because, you know, close games or um, games where you just kind of get carried to, they don't have a guy that just, puts everything on his back and carries you to victories. But for the first, first 45 minutes of close games um, or regular games, I should say, especially bench units, different substitution patterns, second, third quarter, they could just blitz you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where I think we you look back and the starters play pretty evenly and then Manu and Patty Mills and it just, and DIA just come in and absolutely wreck. Uh, the Clippers. So I, I think I would go four two, though. I do think that the athleticism could give them some problems here, but um, you know, not a close 4 two.
2: I'm fine with that. Let's, let's call it and get to the, going to get to the quarterfinals,
0: man. Yeah. We're already 50 minutes in here. This is, I, I was like, Oh, well, we'll have learned from the beginning and we'll, uh, we'll really, but instead we've both had like another 10 days to think about it. And we need to like, get all of our thoughts out. Hey, now.
2: I've been trying to speed you along these last few series. There's, we got juice. That's, that's coming.
0: Okay, all right, all right. So, 2017 Warriors, 2019 Raptors here in the second round. We'll get to that right after this. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So, when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, here we go. 2017 Warriors, 2019 Raptors. Now, I do think the 2019 Raptors are one of the best teams in this group to guard the 2017 Warriors. Uh, You also have the advantage of OG Ananobi being healthy which I, I think could be useful because uh, as we've established, the only way you're going to guard these warriors is you got to switch everything. Marcus, Yeah. I know he held up pretty well against the warriors. That wasn't with the death lineup. That wasn't with KD. I don't think that that's a, and remember that the warriors had absolutely zero shooters um in the 2019 finals. This is just a totally different group. Um, you know, remember how good the warriors looked even with a limited KD just in the, those 12 minutes of game five. I think this ultimately, to me, ends up being a 4-1 series. I also don't think these Raptors are going to be able to score against the 2017 Warriors.
2: Yeah, the thought of that particular team, which is a great, great playoff defense, and Nick Nurse, who I just love as a coach. I have a hat, oh, yeah. hat collection of Nick Nurse hats. Um I, it, it titillates me, but I just don't think they have enough in the tank To really slow down. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to even think of what the argument would be precisely because I think Gasol would probably have to come off the floor more. I don't think he could be as effective. And it wasn't like in last year's finals, they had a dominant defensive blanket over the Warriors offense. And that's with the Warriors offense being so limited in terms of personnel. Remember, Clay missed a bunch of fourth quarters in the series. They had Durant for one quarter. And then they kind of just ran out of like the 17 Warriors still had bodies who could play basketball.
0: Yeah. Sean Livingston was actually like still okay. Iguodala was much better as of that time. You could also just go with a more conventional group uh, with David West uh, on the second unit as well. So, I mean, I do think maybe the starting unit with Zaza, you know, might not look that great. I, I, it's possible maybe that the series could go a little bit longer and Kerr might have to start the death lineup at that point. But uh, I, I don't think they would have any answers for KD. Um I, I mean, I, this also worth noting that in 2019 finals matchup, you know, guys like Fred Van Vliet just went completely crazy, where I think the... Raptors shooting might have been a little bit of an issue with some of their groups, especially if they had to play on Ananobi more. The Warriors definitely would not guard him. Draymond Green is at a whole different level as well in 2017 as opposed to 2019. I think maybe even more so as an offensive player. I don't think Kawhi is able to just go off against them. And even he didn't do that much in the 2019 finals. So uh, I, I think this goes for one. I do think the Raptors have enough defense to make it difficult on them. But ultimately, I, I just I don't think they have enough offense to keep up with the 2017 Warriors and, and people forget how good that playoff defense was.
2: Yeah, I think we're in complete agreement here and uh, we'll have more to say on the 2017 Warriors at the at the end of this tournament. Last two rounds coming up for them. So let's let's who do we have next? It's the next matchup.
0: Oh, baby. LeBron versus LeBron. Maybe the his two best playoff seasons ever. 2013 Miami, the number four seed. 2016 Cavs, the number five seed. Ooh, um, let's. Should we just go through? Yeah,
2: go. You take it who's, away because I want on these teams yeah, again here yeah.
0: as a reminder. Okay, let me get that in front of me here. 2013 Miami, your closing lineup: Ray Allen, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Shane Battier, Chris Bosh, and then you've got Mario Chalmers, who started, uh, Chris Anderson and then maybe Mike Miller a few minutes uh, from him, if healthy. 2016 Cleveland. Starters Kyrie Irving, J.R. Smith, LeBron James, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. Off the bench, Channing Frye, Richard Jefferson, Matthew Delvedova. You've still got a little bit of Timofei Mozgov. Mo Williams got some tick uh, in the finals when uh, Delvedova was deemed unplayable. Iman Shumpert uh, as well. So not that much depth for 2013 Miami, but they are healthy. They had a, a pretty easy go of it in the first round. So I don't think they're too worn out going against the Bulls. They won 4-1 against the 2012 Bulls. So here's. This is, yeah. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead.
2: Cause I'm going to, I'm going to launch into a soliloquy on the 2013
0: heat. Okay. Well, no, why, why don't you, uh, let's hear it here. So
2: here's the thing with this team. They had a 27 game win streak. They won what was their final win total? Sixty-six? Is that right?
0: Yep. Yeah, Sixty-six and sixty. Yeah. Uh, but but they started until that win streak pretty poorly. Also, we're remembering that Dwayne Wade is uh is healthy at least as the start of the year, and I don't think the four one series against the Bulls is necessarily wearing him down. Yeah,
2: so so that's the thing. Even if you remove so just just to recap, Wade has a quote unquote bone bruise in the right knee, which is really like some kind of like spongy bone break or something. It's just a lot of swelling, and it kept the articles, because uh, I couldn't remember, it went back, they were saying he re it multiple times. It occurred on March 6th in the middle of the win streak. Um, actually, you know, some people Monday morning quarterbacking that maybe if they weren't in a win streak, he could have properly rested that knee. Anyway, before even before the injury, before March 6th. When they're in the middle of a sixteen game win streak, uh they have this great record, they're the defending champs, they're now playing the the Bosch lineup more with Bosch, LeBron, that small ball, sort of the precursor to the death lineup. They were never super dominant in terms of point differential or defense. I, I never felt like they could get great defensive performance out of that roster. In fact, their healthy lineup performance that year, whether you include Wade with the bone bruise or not, was slightly below um their opponents' average offensive rating. So in other words, if their opponents had 106 offensive rating, their defense allowed 107 points per 100. It was slightly below average. And that's kind of the big one when I look at this team. It's like we get very excited about that lineup, but I love that lineup offensively, not defensively, and so now they're playing the 16 Cavs. I I just, I'm not sure where they're going to stop them necessarily.
0: Well, you don't love that lineup defensively? Yeah, keep going. I'll tell you what I don't love. <laughs> yeah, take it away. <laughs> Three years older, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Jr. Smith as your wing stopper, Kevin Love, you know, Tristan Thompson is okay as a switch guy. Um, I mean, to me, this comes out of the fact that I still think James is better in 2013 than 2016, even if he had that three-game stretch against the Warriors where he maybe played at his highest level. He certainly played at a pretty high level in 2013 as well, Um, and so who the hell is going to guard James on 2016 Cleveland 2013 Miami I think at least at the end of games you can put James on James <laughs> 2016 Cleveland I don't know that you can put James on James well how much of a so and so then you're going to guard him with uh Kevin Love Tristan Thompson and guard him with Tristan Thompson and then who the hell you, I guess you're gonna put I mean I think the matchups defensively for 2013 Miami against 2016 Cleveland go a lot better than vice versa.
2: I imagine Richard Jefferson's gonna play okay a decent amount in that so, series. So
0: he is who's he replacing? Are you replacing Love or are you replacing Thompson?
2: Oh, it's touch and go, Nate. I mean, Love didn't even okay. start one of the games in the twenty. He missed a game and then he didn't start a game, right? Yeah, in-
0: yeah. He, he got concussed. I mean, I, I would argue that they were better off without him in that particular series, uh, just due to his defensive limitations. But I mean this. That offensive lineup, like Kevin Love just is not going to be able to stop anybody on that lineup either. I mean, he, he's, you're just going to run pick and roll at him. They don't have really the help defenders to guard James. They, they don't have the, James is also shooting what, like 40% from three in 2013. Um, pr- pretty high 30s. I think that was one of it his was best shooting. Yeah. Seasons.
2: I don't, I don't remember where it landed, but that's really finally when that yeah. outside shot sort of came to fruition.
0: So, so you can go, uh, with, uh, Wade pick and rolls if he's healthy, put James uh, around that and then swing it to LeBron James. Uh that that helps a lot too. Uh you know, who is Wade can go post up Kyrie Irving if that's on. I mean, this this team they just don't have enough. I mean, the, the 2013 Miami got two great iso players. Um I, I really I I kind of don't think this series is that close to be honest, but you and I just I think really disagree on 2013 Miami. This is also maybe one of the first teams that really turned it up in clutch moments they did it in the regular season they did it in uh, the postseason 2016 cleveland definitely did that too but i think just the overall athleticism advantage of 2013 miami you got the better lebron defensively love gets torched um you know i don't think irving is going to be able to go nuts in this series necessarily um and they could also trap to maybe take it out of his hands i guess the one thing that 2016 cleveland has maybe you could say they have a little better shooting but i don't think much better
2: I do think I do think 2016 Cleveland has better shooting. I think you're – man, you really like this We see this Miami team well, very Well, just
0: differently. I mean, okay. All right, let, let me ask you this. Who's better offensively? 2013 Miami or 2016 Cleveland?
2: 2016 Cleveland.
0: Why why would you say that is? Just because they shoot more threes?
2: I think it's a combination of them shooting more threes and I mean, Kevin Love is a f- just just Okay,
0: let's keep this in mind too. Like are you basing that on the fact that they had this like really awesome playoff offense?
2: I am over over multiple years that that stretch. Remember, we talked about sixteen or seventeen yeah. Cleveland in part one.
0: Um, well, well, let's keep in mind that Miami's they offense is great. Play, they didn't play anybody in the East playoffs the those years.
2: Miami's offense is great. Don't get me wrong. I just think the 20- twenty. Right,
0: but but they're playing you know the Roy Hibbert, Paul George Pacers and the Bulls in the. In the in the playoffs these years. Like they they're playing real defenses. 2016 Cleveland is not playing real defenses in these playoffs.
2: So the I mean this brings us back to the the 2016 Warriors. How much of what you said about Miami matching up with 2016 Cleveland applies to the Warriors? I mean they they are still able to get their stuff against that Golden State team. Now whether they should have lost that series in 5 or if we ran it back whatever, but it wasn't like the offense fell apart against that team.
0: Uh, well, what did it look like in the Draymond games? They had two pretty good games in three and six. And then I think, you know, game seven, they did not score well. Games one and two on the road, they did not well, score well.
2: Okay. Let me say this. Let me say this. Taking Bogut out of that lineup, I think also helped Cleveland score the second, yeah. like Bogut in game five with no Draymond. Bogut gets in foul trouble. The second he goes to the bench, LeBron's able to get to the cup. Like, one yeah. of the opening plays of the game, LeBron blows by his guy, and Bogut just sends it. When he's off the court and there's no Draymond, I mean, you cannot have guys like Maurice Spates trying to contain the paint with LeBron coming down the lane.
0: So, um, well, yeah. <laughs> or or uh, Anderson Varejao or Festus. Sure, so, at that yeah. point. It, it, it wasn't good. Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, so, so my question is, this is the challenge with that 2013 heat team now you put the wade lebron um all those other guys on the court you're taking so- you're taking that whole roy hibbert andrew bogut you're taking guys like that off the court at
0: least joel anthony well well. so let me ask you this uh one thing this does give me a little bit of pause here is what is 2016 cleveland going to do against that 2013 miami pressure defense flying around the floor. The,
2: so that's I was going to ask you, do you think they're still going to blitz every pick and roll? I mean, it seems slightly reckless to try to do that against LeBron.
0: Well, and, and the Hawks in that year didn't have, uh, to me, as good a personnel as that Miami team, but they tried that. They had a decent regular season defense in 2016. Yeah, and, and, and they, they got, got smoked. Housed.
2: They got completely torched. I just don't think yeah, you. That can, was, that's the challenge. I don't think you can play that way. I don't think this 2013 Heat team extracts enough of a defensive advantage to take away what the 2016 Cavs do on offense, which is probably yeah. slightly better than what the 2013 Heat do on offense. And no, the Cavs are not world beaters defensively at all, but that's probably the difference to me when I size them up. I have a, I have a small yeah. preference for the 16 Cleveland
0: team. And I think they have home court. Uh, no, 2013 Miami has home court. Oh, they are the four seed. Complicated. complicated. Um, so to me, you just you line up the names and this 2013 Miami team has way more talent. Like James, to me, is better than James when you throw in the defense. Bosh versus Kevin Love, that's like not even close. Wade Wade versus Irving. Uh, I mean, I think when you throw again, throw in the defense. I mean, this the Miami team does have like, they're going to fly around. They have pretty good help defenders. They got Batty who can step in and take some charges. They don't have anyone other than uh, either Allen or Chalmers. Like four of the five guys are not just going to get totally overwhelmed by LeBron physically on these switches. I think most of their guys, other than Allen, can stay with Irving well enough in an ISO. Um, let me, let me
2: throw, let me throw a few more things at you. I believe Cleveland played faster. Uh, that 13 team played really slowly, ironically. They had a 90 pace over the course of the season. The, the things I wanted to throw at you, rebounding that 13 Miami team was not a good rebounding team.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, the Tristan Thompson probably would have some moments.
2: Yeah. I think he'd have moments. I don't think by the way, I don't think you can I've never
0: felt comfortable doing the line up the talent next to each other. Right? No, no, I mean it's just one component of it to me. Okay. Um uh, but but I think if you just uh, but also if you're just looking at the individual defensive matchups, I think that really favors uh 2013 Miami of who's going to guard who and just where the advantage. I mean, 2013 LeBron is probably one of the best guys in NBA history to guard 2016 LeBron. <laughs>
2: that's a good way. To, that's a good way to look at it.
0: Um, um, I, I do think it could be close. Um, I, I would go with 2013 Miami in seven games though. Here, I, I, and I guess, you know you and I disagree on them. We're gonna have them going against the 2017 Warriors in the next run, which would be oof, That would be good. But 2016 Cavs against 2017 Warriors, I mean, we know how that plays out already. We saw it the next year. 2017 Warriors handled them pretty well um I just don't think this 2016 Cavs team can stop anybody like the only reason they're able to stop the Warriors at the end is because they weren't healthy like when you look at what happened in the regular season when the Warriors played the Cavs in 2016. A part for example. Of,
2: uh, but part of the challenge for me on that argument is that if you look at data points over all the series and even multiple seasons you've got similar it's not like Cleveland is uh you know giving up five points a game on defense or something. Their defenses are right in the same, almost identical, in fact, in performance.
0: Well, well, so part of that too, though, is remember their 2016 was actually their best defense, but they're playing Mozgov. And then once Lou came in, they kind of went away from Mozgov. Um, under Lou, I think their their defense actually got a lot worse, is my recommendation. Or are you just talking about the playoffs?
2: The playoffs, their defense is, at, now some of this is um, skewed by playing Golden State when Golden State wasn't 100%. But in the playoffs, they were plus 12 on offense against their opponents and then minus three, meaning they were three points better than expected on defense. You'd look at that. You'd say like they actually had a decent defense in the playoffs. If you mentally curve the numbers down a few points for Golden State, that's still only what six of their 20, 21 games. So I I just I have a hard time buying that they're going to get torched. I don't love them defensively at all, but I don't necessarily see the way Miami played in 2013 might look Miami was a great offensive team. I think this is a close series and I think you've done a good job, you know, laying out the strengths, but it's, I don't think it's enough for me to say that they're going to outscore the 16 Cleveland team when Cleveland has more spacing, um, and better shooting. Let's put it that way.
0: Do they really, ha- I mean, do they really have better shooting? Love Let's, size, high, let's but, size it up. So, so well, okay. So, your closing lineup, you agree Thompson is going to be in your closing lineup for Cleveland, right?
2: I, I don't know if I'm overly concerned about the closing lineup versus the top two or three permutations that you're going to get for most of the key moments. I mean, another thing about that Miami team, Nate, is you, you alluded to their blitzing and um, how they turned it up in clutch moments. They did that, but I don't think you can play like that. You can't play like that all the time.
0: I mean, they did for like three years. You,
2: well, hold no, hold on. I think I'm we're conflating two things here. I want to be clear. They played that style of trapping defense and flying around the ball a lot, but the turning it up in clutch time, what what happened the rest of the game? They there had to be something they turned up. To, I see. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Although I mean 2011, which was again they played a real center at that time, 2012 their their defenses were better. Um I mean, if they did some switching, I actually would like this Miami roster as a switch team as well. I think that that might be something they could try. Just I'm not sure that the coach would do that.
2: Let's lay out the shooting percentages just so everyone has it. And then maybe we can. This one sounds like it's going to go to Ben Dahl.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe just for anchoring. I should just say that I think 2013 Miami will be in a in a sweep. Just to like really stake out my position, so if he feels like splitting the baby, he'll be closer to my side. A sweep. I
2: was going to say that there's going to be a forfeit after game three. <laughs> Miami's going to throw in the towel.
0: Yeah. Um. I think you're not giving Chris Bosch enough credit here either. In what particular facet? Um. I think his offensive game, the ways he's spacing the floor, uh, his pick and roll game, how good he could be defensively, especially like he's someone. I think this Heat team. In terms of their personnel, almost looks better. Uh, in going against more modern teams than they do back then, because the rebounding doesn't matter as much. I realize that Cleveland has Thompson at times, but he's not going to be out there all the time. Um. Also, I mean LeBron going against himself—is he ever going to be more motivated <laughs> than that? Uh, so I, I'm. Uh, Wait,
2: is LeBron? You mean yeah. you agree? 2016, LeBron will never be more motivated than when he's going against his MVP-winning younger self. And he knows all the tricks. He knows all the tricks of the trade. He knows everything that that guy's thinking.
0: Um, okay. I say 4-3. What's what's your final pick? 4-2? Yeah. I'm Cleveland gonna, wins it at home. I'm going to say
2: practice. 4-2. No, I'm going to say 4-3. Cleveland wins it on the road. How about
0: that? All right. Well, you already, if that's what you're saying, then you only have a 20% I don't chance of that I don't, happening. I don't, I,
2: it doesn't matter. Either way, 4-2, 4-3, it doesn't matter.
1: All right, Ben Dull, got to decide for us here. All right, this one. this one's tough. I think this is tougher than the first one with uh with okc i do i think i i i have to say i think ben ben got me a little more with his arguments which is probably like the more important thing for me to kind of consider here
0: oh you can have your oh so you're as opposed like what your pre-existing opinion would have been
1: yeah i'm I'm trying i'm trying to really hone in and like just look at this as like all right what was the strength you know kind of judge it on the strengths of the argument i liked ben's point about Cleveland's shooting and just the calculating style that that team got so used to playing like even to your point about Miami switching more well that would probably unlock 2016 LeBron from that you know that matchup with 2013 LeBron guarding him which would obviously help that Cavs team and I I think Kyrie that seemed to kind of get kind of glanced over I'm not so sure that he just like wouldn't that Miami would just really struggle with him I mean the, the point about trapping him but outside of that I don't I don't really see much of an argument that he wouldn't be able to have an awesome series and maybe carry a little more weight if 2013 LeBron was just so good on 16 LeBron.
0: Yeah. Well, I think Wade could guard him pretty well in an ISO.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I,
0: I do think people forget the, when those heat players were really flying around and like the help that Wade and James and Bosch could uh, uh, provide in that system making plays. But I mean, you know, the numbers are the numbers that Ben put out there. So uh, I, I'm going at it from more of a, a scouting perspective and a memory perspective. I mean, they certainly did a pretty decent job on the Spurs, who w- were a very good offense that year uh, in the finals. Those last two games, in particular, were very defensive oriented games.
1: Yeah, that's tough. I, I think, and Cleveland, Cleveland kind of going between, you know, if they get some minutes with Love at center, some minutes with Thompson, as you mentioned, with, with him on the glass. I just, and, and, I'm really torn considering kind of taking home court advantage into it. It just The
0: legendary Miami home court advantage, baby. (laughs) Their their fans actually were fine during this period, I thought. But
1: it's it's the nightlife.
2: (laughs) That's what gets you, the nightlife.
1: J you do have JR on this team. (laughs) I just I think I liked some of the as mentioned, I think I leaned a little more towards agreeing with some of the points that Ben made. I think I lean a little more thinking Kyrie could kind of have his way enough and i think uh, and then just finally the point about just that cleveland team just being so calculated just really being able to hone in and find find something and just to go at it which you obviously need against a team that could dial it up as you guys mentioned i i, I just i still think i have to go cleveland all right so five
0: seven games or six
1: seven you're fired. okay <laughs> <laughs>
0: no th- thank you uh uh it's uh those are the rules we agreed to i will stew here privately so with that humiliating defeat we're gonna have to take this to a part three don't worry you don't have to wait as long got it coming for you as the next episode along with some news so we will talk to you all then at bet
1: 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar.